0: Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought
1: to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy.
0: Joining me, Dr. Doug Groteis from Denver Seminary. We've been talking about your book, Fire in the Streets. There is a growing understanding of just how... Deadly. Uh, You know, we've talked about the fact that it seems like critical race theory or critical theory is like a poison pill. It's not. Just ideologically or philosophically isolated in one area, it begins to cover all areas. Speaking of philosophy, again, we talk about a philosophy of religion, a philosophy of government, a philosophy of human interaction, and this poison pill permeates, and then it it affects every relationship.
1: Well, I think it does. See, the roots of it are in Marxism, and Marxism is... A meta narrative. Marxism is an account of existence. It's materialistic. It views things in terms of economic exploitation. Mm-hmm. And critical race theory is cultural Marxism or neo Marxism. And it really factors in race and sexual minorities. So you are oppressed by virtue of your sexual preference, by virtue of your race. And the oppressors are uh, the white males or this terrible force called whiteness. So everything is understood through the lens of racial oppression and the oppression of sexual minorities. So it's a totalistic viewpoint on society. I think it's the wrong viewpoint. Well,
0: and it's just interesting to me when we're looking at China or Russia and their Marxist revolutions and the narrative was about economic oppression and now do you think it was a perfect storm in the United States of America where you could take civil war, black, white, inequity, and use it as the wedge which would create the impression that maybe there was some something fundamentally, irrevocably wrong with America? In, in the second part of your book, you talk about uh, uh, the idea of... Uh, or at least what people have, have offered as an idea to burn it down. We have to burn down America and replace it. But but so there's two issues that, that you talk about. Is, is it a good idea to, to burn it down? And if, in fact, you do burn it down, what are you going to replace it with?
1: Well, exactly. So part two of my book is about the nature of the American system. I look at the mm-hmm. Declaration. I look at the Constitution and some statements by Abraham Lincoln and others. But let me read this quote from a Black Lives Matter Matter leader named Hank Hawk Newsom: If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down the system and replace it, all right? And I could be speaking figuratively. I could be speaking literally. It's a matter of interpretation. So that's really a threat, and we saw what happened in the summer of 2020, those massive riots that went on week after week after week. So it's not that everyone who holds to critical race theory wants to literally burn buildings down and completely torch institutions, but it allows for that. That's one Mm -hmm. of the modes of revolution. See, it comes out of Marxism, and Marxism is not a reformist worldview. It's a revolutionary worldview. Mm -hmm. The world is divided up into two camps, the oppressors and the oppressed and the way critical race theory views it is, the oppressed are those who are people of color and sexual minorities, and the system is rigged against them, inequity is baked into the system, and in fact, it cannot be reformed. Now, I would certainly grant that during the time of slavery and Jim Crow and other times in the United States, the system was not fair towards people of color, but we've come a long way since then, especially since the Civil Rights Movement and the achievement of, for example, we had a a black president for two terms. Uh, I want to say, how can we be a systemically racist culture when we had an African-American president for two terms? We have an an African-American vice president now. Whatever you think of their politics, and I'm not a fan of either one, I think that shows in and of itself that it's pretty difficult to say the entire system is rigged against African-Americans when African-Americans have achieved so much. Now, there's a lot more that needs to be done, but tearing down the system, attacking America as intrinsically and incorrigibly racist is just not true, and it's not good. It's not healthy. So
0: you're a self-described conservative. How do you explain that there seems to be not just a philosophical, but an ideological attraction on the left to Marxism? And... Socialism. They 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 use the term progressivism, but it seems like a euphemism for that that moral ethical things that sovereignty itself comes from the state, which isn't a which is it it, it isn't a you know a a worldview that we share, but if sovereignty isn't rooted and grounded in the individual, but in the state. Do you think that this cultural, philosophical Marxism has a better chance of taking hold in a leftist ideology?
1: Well, we've certainly seen the Democratic Party move far to the left in recent years uh, in terms of gender identity, in terms of abortion, in terms of wanting to strictly control the economy and destroy fossil fuels and so on. So the left is a religion, really, of statism. Mm -hmm. Instead of God being Lord over all things, the state is what determines reality and what brings about justice and so on. And see, an, an essential conservative view says the state is legitimate, but it's only one form of government. The ultimate government is that of God over the whole world, We have self-government, family government, church government, and civil government, or the state. But the state has to be kept in check, and our founding documents are actually quite good at that. Uh, The Constitution, the Declaration, says that uh, the state should secure rights that are given by God. That's not saying the state confers rights ex nihilo, out of nothing, but it should confer natural rights, to citizens.
0: But isn't the state toying with the idea right at this very moment that the state does, in fact, create certain institutional constructs like marriage? So in the Obergefell decision where homosexuals marry one another or polyamorous or or polygamy, um, that if they, in fact, define what marriage is or isn't, then it's no longer some sort of cultural or institutional thing created apart from the state well the real issue
1: is how do you justify a right right can you justify a right just by having a law or by a majority vote or is, does it have to go deeper than that and ultimately it does it does have to go much deeper than that.
0: one of the things that you do in your book you have it I think wonderfully and cleverly broken down into sections, and in the first section you talk about how the blaze got started. But in the second section, uh, burning it all down. In chapters three and four, you address the issues of what is America and should we burn it, and 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 of course, in chapter four you talk about America and systemic racism, because the arguments that are being raised by all kinds of people that that we have to change everything. Now, again, I I go back to Obama's election where his slogan was hope and change, that we've got to change things. Now, again, that's kind of a philosophical kind of odd thing because when you're talking about change, you mean change from one thing to another. In this chapter, you talk about what is America and, and should we burn it? So let's let's ask that question. What is America? Right. Well, right
1: before he was elected the first time, Barack Obama said, it's only a few days until we fundamentally transform America, and people there cheered. But fundamentally transform means you think it is fundamentally unsound the way it now is. Right. Now, he was able to institute some uh, critical race theory type approaches during his
0: administration. Tenure,
1: but... Uh, we're seeing a lot more insistence on it now with the Biden administration. But I've got something in the book, which I call the American creed, and this is not formalized anywhere, but I think there are eight aspects Mm -hmm. of the United States that are worth reflecting on and conserving. And the first is that America is a republic, affirming that government is only legitimately constituted upon the consent of the governed the governed. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously not a monarchy. It should never be authoritarian. It should be a republic. Second, America recognizes the potential and weakness of human nature. So it does not concentrate power in any single branch of government. Of the three branches of government, the idea of checks and balances. And that was derived from Montesquieu. It's really quite right. brilliant. And see, this comports with a, a Christian view of society and humanity and what's possible east of Eden. So our founding documents are not utopian. They're not saying that if we set up certain conditions, we'll get rid of class distinctions, we'll get rid of all antagonisms, we'll have this worker's paradise. It's realistic about Mm -hmm. our situation. So we've got those first two. Three, America affirms and promotes religious and political freedom. Equality and opportunity.
0: Well, let's pause there for just yeah. a moment because when you say America affirms and promotes religious and political freedom, equality, and opportunity, the socialist will say, hey, uh, religious, political freedom, equality, and opportunity are in the Chinese Constitution and in the Russian Constitution.
1: Well, we've lived up to it a heck of a lot better than they have, haven't we? <laughs> So, I mean, think of the First Amendment. There'll be no established religion, but there will be no prohibition of religion. Mm-hmm. So you have the Free Exercise Clause of religion, freedom of speech, of assembly of petition, and so on. And I think we've done fairly well with those matters. Now, one thing I'm concerned about, maybe we can talk mm-hmm. about this next week, is the fact that those people influenced by critical race theory don't believe in the freedom of speech or right. the freedom of the press. They think that... The oppressors are so corrupt and corrupting that they have to be muzzled. They but cannot be
0: allowed to speak.
1: Yeah, that's behind the whole idea of canceling people.
0: And so let's pause and think – we, we, we can talk about that next week. But as, it, as, as it's racing through my mind, it's, I, what comes to my mind is forbidden speech. What is it? What are we forbidden to address? And I guess and you're going to be talking about that in the next chapter when you talk about systemic racism. You cannot question, you must not question, you cannot question the legitimacy of systemic racism.
1: Well, that's what some people think. I was in a setting once where somebody told me, well, if I even question systemic racism, I just won't get anywhere with interacting with certain black folks. And my response to myself was, well, what about the truth? You know? mm-hmm. of what about the way things really are? And what is going to be empowering to people who are struggling to succeed? Is it going to be a view that you are oppressed no matter what you do, and only the white man can free you? So I don't pa- think that's a very hopeful vision. So is
0: part of the American creed ideological in the sense that we affirm religious and political freedom, equality, and opportunity, but do we also affirm ideological freedom?
1: Well, it depends on what you mean by ideological.
0: Well, I was thinking about what FDR said in 1940, and he's addressing America, and he says, you're a communist, and you have the right to be a communist. You You can believe... In communism and still be an American because you have the freedom to think for yourself.
1: Sure. That's a part of what freedom of speech is. Now, if you engage in actions to overthrow the American civil government, that's something else. But you have a right to uh, publish a book.
0: So the American creed doesn't give us ideological permission to commit ideological suicide.
1: Right. Right. But it gives (laughs) the possibility of disagreement and dissension certainly mm-hmm. uh, that's part of what a healthy environment is is where you allow different opinions and different views on subjects and then you try to talk about it using reason using evidence using logic but what I'm seeing now is that idea has really been tamped down because the idea is uh, I have a book on this that I haven't read all of yet but well, it's cheap speech. So mm-hmm. yeah, we don't want to justify every kind of speech because speech is too easy now. You have it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else and on web pages. So it's cheap speech. So maybe the civil government should start regulating cheap speech so we can all get along better. And then I just think, all right, let's go read 1984 again. Right. Uh, very worried about that kind of thing. It's not that America is perfectly conformed to these ideals. But we have this glorious First Amendment uh, that restricts the government from interfering with our religion, speech, press, et cetera. And those are all very good things.
0: And, you know, Roger Scruton said in an article that he wrote years ago that you would think that in that First Amendment and those freedoms and then... The freedom from government restriction or that, that he, he basically said, but it's naive to think that the government won't do it because hence we've got a Supreme Court where they're constantly overturning um, ideologues who want to prohibit and restrict thought, speech, association, religion. I've constantly asked the question. How could there be a greater law than the First Amendment? Why would you have to add anything to the First Amendment in order to strengthen it? Why isn't it strong enough in and of itself?
1: Well, the Supreme Court is supposed to properly interpret the Constitution and to make rulings on the basis of that. That's what's called originalism. Now, the liberal justices and the left in general does, does not believe in originalism. They believe the Constitution is an instrument for their own ideological use. That's a fundamental difference. So when I see people protesting outside of Supreme Court justices' homes, I think, first of all, they should be arrested. It's against the law. And Mm -hmm. secondly, these folks don't even understand what America is about because the Supreme Court is not an elected section of government.
0: It's a branch of government in the republic that you made reference to. Exactly.
1: So they are not supposed to be beholden to majorities or how anybody votes. They are supposed to interpret the Constitution properly. And one of the judges, I don't remember which one, it was one of the non-conservative ones, said, well, we don't want to let the court get too far out of alignment with how people vote. Like, well, I wish you were not on the court because that's not what you're supposed to think. You're supposed to interpret the original meaning of the Constitution. Right.
0: So it goes back to what you talked about earlier about the nature of humanity. Are we good or is there something wrong with us that we need to diffuse the power into three separate branches of government? Now, we were talking about your chapter on what is America and should we burn it? And I, I, of course ask the question, what is America? And you talk about the American creed, and you've you've talked about the fact that it's a republic, that we recognize the potential and the weaknesses of human nature, at least the founding fathers did. And clearly the founding fathers may have had some differences of opinion about just how good or bad human nature might be, but there was this sense of consensus that government or the concentrations of powers which with which with the, they were dealing with with, with in England mm-hmm. reduced uh, freedoms, and um, go ahead and pick it up. I uh, right. uh, where you were.
1: Yeah, I had three points. I started with America as a republic. America recognizes the potential and weakness of human nature. America affirms and promotes religious and political freedom, equality, and opportunity. And the fourth one is. America allows for and encourages upward mobility through individual initiative, the rags-to-riches story, or attaining the American dream, not through state action. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one reason why so many people from around the world want to come to America, is they realize that there's no intrinsic limit on what they can do. So the idea is if you come, you work hard, you save money, you get an education, or you have your children get an education – you can really find a meaningful life now my grandparents came here in the 1920s from northern italy mm-hmm. came to ellis island and my grandfather worked as a waiter my grandmother worked as a seamstress they had one child my mother and uh i was able to go to college get a phd and my mom could have gone to college too she decided not to although she had a full ride scholarship uh, that she mm. didn't she didn't use for some reason back in the day. So it's not that everybody is going to achieve this, but many immigrants in the United States have been able to come dirt poor and do very well for themselves, or their children and grandchildren have done very well for themselves. So there's a kind of idea of America as a beacon, a beacon to Mm -hmm. the nations in some ways. Not that we're the new Israel, nothing like that. But think about the Tiananmen Square uprising back in 1989 in China. They had a mock Statue of Liberty they put up mm-hmm. for their ideal of freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. They didn't seems... have a Cuban flag or the Russian Well, it, but they <laughs> the did Russian have the flag. American flag. Exactly. They had the American flag and a mock-up of the Statue of Liberty. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that we draw people from around the world because of our ideals and because of many of our achievements. Flawed? Sure. Imperfect? Absolutely. Need to improve? Of course. But you don't tear the whole thing down or paint it all as as horribly polluted, see it as polluted, because of the, the problems that are just intrinsic to human nature. No civil government is going to have a perfect society without racism, without lying, without corruption. But the idea is, do you have a fundamental system of civil government that allows for advance and tends to curb authoritarianism? and human abuses. And I think we have that
0: in the genius of the American system. You know, it, one of the people you admire so much, Thomas Sowell, Clarence mm-hmm. Thomas, Ben Carson, they all have these rags to riches uh, right. stories. Thomas Sowell, um, has publicly stated. And so even Clarence Thomas talked about being an angry black man. Um, Thomas Sowell, uh, an avowed Marxist, even through his PhD, even through his PhD. And, and, but yet Ben Carson, soul, Clarence Thomas, they began to ask and answer the question. It is, is the system itself fundamentally rigged and can I actually get to go forward in this system? And obviously all three of them, unbelievable but right. they're charged by their philosophical critics as being Uncle Tom's um, because they refuse to capitulate to the idea that no you are an, a, a victim these were oppressors and whatever status you've gained chalk it up to luck or in intellect or whatever do you have any thoughts on 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 that?
1: Well, I think calling someone you disagree with an African-American who is conservative and Uncle Tom is just intellectual cowardice and repugnant, Mm -hmm. what you need to do is refute their ideas. Mm -hmm. So I dedicated my book to Thomas Sowell. I don't know the man. I don't think he's a Christian, but what I said was to Dr. Thomas Sowell, preeminent and courageous social scientist and intellectual inspiration to me for 40 years. Mm -hmm. I've never met him, but I've been reading him for 40 years. Mm -hmm. And he has a rags-to-riches story. His whole world opened up when a relative took him to a library. Wow. And he fell in love with knowledge and ideas and books, and he pursued education. He's a remarkable man. I recommend Jason Riley's book called Maverick, which Mm -hmm. is about Thomas Sowell. It's really an intellectual biography because the most important events in Thomas Sowell's life have been thoughts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) thoughts and books and articles and things like that. But I think to just uh, call people Uncle Toms or say they're they're too closely allied with white people, first of all, truth is not pigmented. Mm-hmm. A statement is true if and only if it corresponds to reality, and knowledge is justified true belief. So if I have a belief that's justified, then I have knowledge. It has nothing to do with color whatsoever. It has to do with evidence, arguments, states of affairs, am I getting reality right or not? So... You read Thomas Sowell and you find him to be, I think, very convincing Mm -hmm. intellectually. Now, he has a wonderful story uh, as a man brought up in a country that was more discriminatory than ours is now. He's 92. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clarence Thomas suffered a lot of struggles as a poor black man growing up, I guess it would be in the 40s and 50s. But they were smart, they were dedicated. And they were able to overcome those. So to reject their ideas and their story uh, because there's somehow Uncle Tom's is absolutely absurd. Let's go to the arguments. Let's mm-hmm. go to the evidence and see what we get.
0: Now, on your list, you continue and you talk about – you actually quote Cotton Mather in his famous yeah. sermon, City Set on a Hill, which Ronald Reagan popularized – um, a city set on a hill, a beacon, that there, mm-hmm. there really is a light. W- one of the things I think I wanted you to address and talk about is the Thomas souls of the world who find Marxism ideologically, philosophically mm-hmm. vacant, and that it can't be the meaningful solution to the problem of inequity, mm-hmm.
1: Right. Well, I have a chapter on Marxism and how Marxism has morphed into critical race theory. In this book? Yeah. Chapter one, actually, uh-huh. is uh, called Fire in the Minds of Karl Marx and His Followers. But see, Marxism just gets reality wrong. It says mm-hmm. that our problems are fundamentally because of institutions and economic inequities. That's the problem with the world. All of history is a history of class struggle. Well, yes, there's economic exploitation that takes place because people are selfish. They lie, they steal, they kill, and so on. But uh, Marx and Engels and their followers thought that if you eliminated the profit motive and private property and you equalized everything from the top down through the state, that is the workers rebel against the owners, it's called a, a revolution, then you have what's called the dictatorship of the proletariat, and eventually, to use Engels' words, the state will end up withering away because there'll be no engine for oppression left because there'll be no private property, no profit motive. Workers will not be exploited anymore. Now, how many absolutely doctrinaire Marxists are there out there? Uh, maybe not a huge number, but that basic idea that the problems of society are institutional, and if we just tinker with the institution, or not just tinker, but radically change it, will unleash untold human goodness it has never shown itself in history and
0: it's not a christian idea
1: it's just not the way reality is
0: and again for many many people as they think about critical race theory critical theory itself um the pollution in the public school system um the, the you 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 preface this book based on the riots that took mm-hmm. place in 2020 and there seems to be moments in in american thought and and personality if you will where it becomes ripe for a revolution 2020 seemed one of those fuse moments that a fuse was lit and america was really in the balance and i want i want i want you to go back to to the american creed but right. before before we do that i just want to ask you a really maybe tough question. And that is, could another fuse be put in place rather quickly? And do you see America in the balance that that there that this thing that you've been talking about, what is America, that it could fundamentally, irrevocably, permanently change if the fuse is mm-hmm. lit and it exploded in a way that this fabric that you're talking about Could it unravel?
1: Well, I think so. That's one reason why I wrote wrote the book. book. Mm -hmm. Um, I think 2020 was a decisive moment for America, where a lot of us had to say, who are we? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do we deserve to continue to exist? And I certainly believe so, and that's really why I wrote the book. But I think the foundations are being destroyed through public education, through a lot of the political activities that we see, they're a good word. Yeah. Better than my word. So I think it's a serious time. So when you have a serious crisis, it's good to go back to fundamentals and Mm -hmm. see what will really last. What are we made of? And to use a biblical phrase, strengthen the things that remain. Mm -hmm. And some people don't want to strengthen the things that remain. They want to burn it down. That's why I call the book fire in the streets. There's fire in the streets, because there are fires in the minds of men and women. And it's really Marxism and neo-Marxism. So maybe I can, I can get to these last sure. six, uh, or six, seven, eight points. This idea of the American creed. Uh, the sixth, I say, America endeavors to honor and hold true to its founding documents. Thus, calling something unconstitutional is a reproach. Mm-hmm. Now, this is done on both the left and the right, certainly. But we are a deliberative nation. We're a nation that wrote out its founding principles in the Declaration and in the Constitution. That's rare. That's exceptional in the history of nations. Mm -hmm. Now, the issue is what do they mean? How should they be interpreted? And have we held true to that? But at least we have reference points. Now, Mm -hmm. people on the left, on the secular left, want to divorce the, the Constitution from the Declaration because the Constitution never mentions God per se, all right? It never denies God either. But the Declaration says that we are given certain inalienable rights by our creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that government should secure these rights. That is, they're based on God, our creator, and it is self-evident that we have these rights.
0: With So that the state secures the rights, doesn't create the right. rights. Exactly, right, and I think of that
1: biblical phrase, woe to those who frame mischief by statute, go back to King James, you can have unjust laws. And that's exactly what Martin Luther King said when he was sitting in a jail.
0: Right.
1: He said, uh, I have broken man's laws, but I haven't broken God's laws by peacefully demonstrating. Mm-hmm. And what a difference between the peaceful demonstrations of the civil rights movement and what we saw in 2020. I remember uh, Kathleen and I were watching this documentary done by Shelby Steele is called What Killed Michael Brown. And they juxtapose the demonstrations of the 60s by African-American leaders, protesters, and also other folks that were there. And they're being hosed that dogs are let loose on them. They don't fight back. They're dressed up. They look nice. They have placards, but there's no swearing. There's no nasty language on their signs. Mm -hmm. And they went to jail. They didn't resist arrest. That was nonviolent protest. And look at all that that accomplished. Uh, Martin Luther King would be absolutely scandalized by Black Lives Matter or by what happened in 2000. Because what's going on with those folks is fundamentally Mm un-American. And it's not helpful for anyone, red, yellow, black, white, green, purple, whatever. It's not helpful to burn things down and try to start all over again. I like what... uh, Ken Hamblin, some years ago, he was a local commentator, African-American. I think he's retired now. He wrote this book with this fantastic title, Find a a Better Country. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we have a lot of things that need to change, but find a better country. I don't think you can, really. You can't find a better country than the United States. So let's work on it. So, seventh, America is a place where moral and political reform is possible within the founding ideals and without violence. Now, sadly, we had the Civil War, of course, but the founding ideals are so strong that they should be recognized. And mm-hmm. part of what I want to do in the book is to explain this to people because mm-hmm. people are not taught civics in public schools. They're not taught basic principles of civil government, I don't think, in a lot of churches. Maybe homeschools, Christian schools will do this, but a lot of people don't know what our country is is based on and how it has been self-reforming. So, for mm-hmm. example, we have the amendment structure in the Constitution. So mm-hmm. the Constitution, what it was written, was not assumed to be perfect. It didn't come down from heaven or come down from Mount Sinai with Moses. It's the best they could do, but they allowed for amendments. And it we was not amendments.
0: immutable. It was no. not incorrigible.
1: No, but the idea was these principles are solid. Mm-hmm. They're not exhaustive. So, we need to have some room for change given the amendment. So, we have an amendment process. We have a representative republic. We have the separation of powers and so on. It's really a very ingenious system. And I'm, even the Electoral College, very unpopular, but the Electoral College is ingenious and should be preserved also. Maybe we could talk about that some sure. other time. I don't actually defend that in the book. I have right. enough work to do with other things but we have this tremendous history and system and meaningful reform can occur within the framework of these principles so the idea of destroying them or we're going to put pressure on the supreme court that whole idea is absurd this i know i'm saying it again the supreme court is supposed to interpret the constitution it doesn't matter what anybody else says the supreme court justices are appointed by the president they're confirmed by the Senate, right? So the electoral factor is still there. You vote in the president, the president proposes, and the the nominee has to be confirmed. But once the nominee is there, he or she is is there for life. And the goal is to interpret the founding documents properly. So -hmm. the whole idea of putting pressure or threatening Supreme Court justices is fundamentally, absolutely, and just stupidly Mm un-American. But... We only have a few seconds. Yeah. What's that last one? Yeah, the last one is the eighth point. America is a land that welcomes legal immigrants who want to become Americans and find a better life. Notice I said legal immigrants. like my Well, you
0: said welcome and legal immigrants, but it seems that there's a growing group of people who are totally willing to welcome illegal immigrants. Well,
1: I don't think that's a good idea. That's, I don't really take up it's a, a lot ba- right about that in the book it's very
0: complicated right, right. we we get that it's a complicated yeah. issue but but again to your point of mm-hmm. the fabric of what it right. means to be america right. the fabric is that your grandparents came here legally right my grandparents came here legally from Italy as well. Right, right. right after World War Two, my grandfather and my father made their way, like your grandfather, to Ellis Island. Yeah. And they came here. My grandfather worked for the city of New Orleans, picking up trash mm. along the highway. Mm-hmm. He gave birth to five children. The oldest became a mafia leader. The <laughs> second one... But one of them, they became educators. And my mm-hmm. uncle is... An attorney.
1: Yeah, we're a nation of immigrants, but it should be legal immigrants who want to really be American. That's right. very significant that you hold to this American freed. You're not just here the book to get a
0: free ride. is Fire in the Streets. The author, Doug Groteis, go ahead and order it. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs
1: offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.